following message is presented by First Baptist Church of Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Now the message. If you were keeping up with current events in the uh, national news and the spotlight, social media, wherever you get your information from, you, you know that earlier this week, it was about the time we started Revival, that there was noted that there was a somewhat unidentified object floating above the atmosphere in the United States. And it took them a while to finally come out and confess exactly what it was. It was claimed to be a weather balloon that had drifted off course. Uh, You can believe that if you want to. But uh, no matter what you want to call it, that object was an information-gathering balloon from another country. And so... What are we going to do about it? How did it get off course? What is it doing? As I, I started watching, man, all the memes came out on social media. They started making all these jokes about it. Uh, reports came in from meteorologists. They started tracking this thing and predicting its course like they do hurricanes. They give the, the cone of uncertainty of where it was headed at. And it was just, it was somewhat comical, but it was somewhat concerning on the same note as to what this was, what it was looking for. And as I deemed it as an intelligence-gathering device, I began looking at the path, and I said, well, that kind of explains why it's avoiding some places and going to some places. And uh, since it's an intelligent-gathering device, this would be a really good place to insert an Alabama joke, but it avoided Louisiana, too, so I can't go there. (laughs) But there was a certain spot on the East Coast that it did not go over that it might explain why it avoided it as well. And as I began thinking, you know, all the technology that we have these days, uh, GPS, all the cameras that we have, cameras are getting so much smaller than what they once were uh, with the technology developing that it was. How many of you used to have the old Polaroid uh, Instamatic flashes that were about this big with flashes on them about like that? You remember those? Now you get it on your phone, you got a flash that will blind a deer at nighttime. Uh, it's all compacted into this small little bitty device. And, and so something that, I think they said this thing was the size of three school buses, maybe larger than that, when they finally identified what it was, uh, explaining why they let it get it over the ocean. They didn't want any collateral damage when they destroyed whatever it was. So as I got to thinking about that, I said, you know, uh, there, there's something that's been around for a long, long time that sees more than any uh satellite, any type of intelligence gathering device. You know, we have a God that sees everything that goes on in our life. And the thing about it is, it's kind of a scary thought if you think about it. That should put fear uh, in anyone's heart when you think about, you know, God does see everything that I do. You know, I, I can hide it from some people. Uh, we, we've talked a lot lately about uh, God's omnipresence in our life, the fact that he is in us and with us everywhere that we go and in everything that we do. You know, the promise that you see over and over and over and over again in Scripture that I am with you always, no matter where you go and no matter what you do. And just thinking about the creator of the universe wanting to be that involved in our life. 
But that's also another consideration that you need to think about. And I want to talk a little bit tonight about the omniscience of God. What about the omniscience of God? The, the state of knowing everything. So there are two places in, in Scripture that allude to the fact that God sees all things that happen in everyone's life. I've repeated this verse time and time again. Proverbs 15.3 says that the eyes of the Lord are in all places, beholding the evil and the good. So God's, nothing escapes his attention. It doesn't matter what it is. He sees the good things that you do. He sees the sins in your life. He sees the evil that happens in the world. And there's nothing that takes him by surprise. You know, stuff like this, like this intelligence gathering balloon, you know, God said, well, I never saw that coming. He knew that was happening. He knows what's going on. Um, there's another place in Psalms 34, 15. It actually gives the Lord kind of a, the picture of having human parts, human bodily parts like eyes, ears, arms. But the, in Psalms 34, 15, it says, it's, it says the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayers. That, that should bless your heart right there. Knowing that God is watching you every step of the way. And just like last night, you know, he's protecting you from things that you didn't even know were coming. He, he's probably protected most of us from stuff that we never, we still don't have a clue about. I know as a teenager, I did some pretty knuckleheaded things that I can say that God has probably had his hand on me for quite some time now. He's been watching over me. And protecting me from my own dumb mistakes. And so as we think about that tonight, I, I want to talk about the matter that he knows what's going on. And as he's watching the life of Ruth and everything unfolded, none of that took him by surprise. In his omniscience, God was watching over and orchestrating everything that happened in her life. We've talked about the bad news and we talk about now we're transitioning to the good news in Ruth's life. And out of this passage that we're going to read tonight, Ruth chapter 2, verses 11 through 16, we're going to talk about everything that God knew that Ruth needed to make it during this time. He knew what was going on in her life, and he knew that the famine was coming. He knew that the dark times that are listed in the book of Judges that they're in right now was coming. He knew that the deaths in their family were coming. He, none of that took him by surprise. So whatever it is that you're going through in your life right now, he knows what's going on. He, he knew it before it happened. He knew it before it came along. He knew it before you did. So the first thing I want to point out tonight happens in verse 11. It says that Boaz answered Ruth. Ruth came to him. She was gleaning in the fields. Boaz commanded the, the workers in the field to protect her, to leave her alone, to keep their distance, leave a little bit extra. And so then Ruth catches on to what's going. She comes and she bows down before him and asks why she has found favor, why she found grace in her eyes. And here's what Boaz's response was to her. Boaz answered her and says, It has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. So stop right there for just a minute. I want you to know this. So as Boaz is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, he's kind of an Old Testament picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, representative of the, of the kinsman redeemer. 
He knows your past. God knows where you've been. He knows what you've done. He knows where you're coming from. He knows where you're going to. So everything that's happened up until this point in your life, that anything, whether you've tried to hide it from anybody, if you think you've gotten away with some kind of sin that nobody else knows about, he knows your past. The eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. The eyes of the Lord are in all places, and he's beholding the evil and the good. And so just like Boaz is not scolding Ruth over anything that she's done, he's not holding anything against her. God knows your past, and he loves you anyway. The evil and the good, he says, you know what? The past is past. It's behind you. I'm accepting you just the way that you are. I know what you've done, and I love you just the same, no matter what. And so he sees all of your life. He sees the past, he sees the present, and he sees the future. He's watching over us. He knows where you've been, just like Ruth. He said, you know what? I I see what you've done for your mother-in-law. I see the kindness and compassion. I see your devotion. But the number one thing that I think he was looking at, he says, I see that you want to make our God your God as well. So let me help you bring you into a place where you may not feel comfortable I want you to feel a little bit more welcome. And I want you to understand that everything that's happening in your life, I don't care if you're a Moabite or not. I know that we're not supposed to have relationships with them. But you want to make your God, uh, our God, your God as well. So I'm going to bring you in and I'm going to show you some kindness. I'm going to show you what it's like to serve the one true living God. One time there was this cat burger. He broke into a house. Slipped in through the window and the house was dark. There was nobody there. He had been watching the house for a while. He knew that nobody was home. We kind of had a pattern on the people. And he had his flashlight out and his his bag that he was filling up with stuff. He was going through room by room, picking up all the valuable items. He got to this one room and he started rummaging through some stuff. And all of a sudden he heard a voice behind him say, Jesus is watching you. Boy, he turned his light off and he got real still. I don't know where that came from. I don't know who that was. He turned his light on and he didn't see anything. So he starts back to his business of collecting items, getting a few more things in his bag, and he hears a voice again. Jesus is watching you. So boy, he stops. Next time he turns his light on, he he spots a parrot over in the corner in his cage. He says, oh, he said, you're just pulling my leg. He said, I know all that business. My grandma used to tell me Jesus was watching me just to scare me and all that. He said, I don't believe in all that Jesus stuff. And the parrot said, all right, sick him, Jesus. (laughs) Sometimes God is watching us. Sometimes he gives us a warning. Sometimes he says, look, watch what I'm about to do in your life now. I see where you've been. I see the kindness you've done. I see the move that you are making, trying to get closer to me. And I want to help you understand how this is going to work. And I want you to understand, most of all, that everything that you've done in your life up until now, I don't hold anything against you. So I think that's what Boaz is doing here is he's welcoming her in as a foreigner, as a stranger. He says, I see you've done, uh, you, you've shown some kind acts to your mother-in-law. Her husband has passed away, and you've helped her up until this point. Now it's time for me to step in. And at this point, he doesn't realize that he's about to become the kinsman redeemer of Ruth. 
and he wants to make her feel at home. So the next thing I believe that we see in this passage that uh, God knows, God also knows our sacrifices. God knows our sacrifices. He knows that there are some things that we give up in our life to help other people out. There are some sacrifices that we make to draw closer to him. And look what he says. He says, not only do I see what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. He says, I also see how you have left your father and your mother and the land of your birth. And have come to a people whom you did not know before. So think about that for just a moment. Some of you may have never experienced uh, what it means to leave your parents, to leave your hometown. Uh, You may still be in the, the place where you were born and raised. But just think about not only being a stranger in a foreign land. Think about being in a land where you had to leave. You had to make a choice. You had to make a decision. I I don't know what Ruth's relationship was like back at home. I don't know what her relationship was with her parents. But if you'll remember when we started the story, Naomi had two daughter-in-laws. One of them decided to go back to her hometown, but she couldn't convince Ruth that that's what she needed to do as well. Matter of fact, she begged Ruth. She said, look, there's nothing left here for you. I can't provide any more sons for you to marry. There's no future here with me. And she tried her best to say, look, I want you to stay with your parents instead of going with me. But Ruth said, "Uh uh-uh, you need me just as much as I need you. And I want your God to be my God. I want your land to be my land. I want your people to be my people. So it was a sacrifice that Ruth had to make. It was a choice that she made on her own. And God sees those sacrifices that you make to draw closer to him and serve him and to make his kingdom a better place as well. So we don't have to try to impress God or anyone else with our offerings. Uh, He knows how much you can give. He knows how much you do give. Uh, not only of your tithes and offerings, but of your time as well. So the Bible tells us in Psalm 51, what does God look for? What is the main thing that God looks for in a sacrifice? What does he say he values more than anything else? They used to bring the, the, the animals to the temple to offer the sacrifice. The animals had to be perfect. They had to be according to the law. But in Psalms 51, verses 16 and 17, listen to what David writes. This is a really good prayer of repentance. The whole chapter is. But he gets down to it and he says, look, God, I I know what you desire. I know what you desire more than anything else. I know what is more valuable to you than anything else. He says, for you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are what? A broken spirit. A broken spirit and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. So God, I believe, desires to see our motives as a sacrifice, a willing heart, a desire to draw closer to him more than anything else that we can give that has materialistic value to it. So the other thing that we see in this passage, point number three, is that he knows how to protect. 
He knows how to protect. Boaz uses a phrase here that he will use later on as Ruth makes the mood to become closer to Boaz. And Boaz actually sees that he is becoming her kinsman redeemer. But here he just makes mention of it that she's seeking this from the Lord God of Israel. He said, there's something you're seeking here, and I want to help you to find that. She's looking for protection in a land where she's still considered a foreigner. And so he says, uh, I see what you've done to your mother-in-law. I see that you've left the land where your father and mother are. You've come to a people where you do not know. In verse 12 he says, the Lord repay your work, and a full reward be given to you. By the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. Boaz says, you need protection in this place. You've come here looking for asylum, if you want to call it that. You've come here looking for protection. You've come here looking for refuge. So we know that uh, God knows how to protect us as well. Under his wings. So there's twice that this analogy is used in this particular narrative. Little does Boaz know, I believe at this point, that he would be the one who would provide this protection ultimately for Ruth as her kinsman redeemer and savior to both her and her mother-in-law, Naomi. So I'm certain also of this, that little does Boaz know as well that he would be the great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather of the Messiah, which would turn into the protector, the redeemer, and the savior of the world. I think it was 28 times I looked through the genealogy where it ran down before it got to uh, Joseph, the father, earthly father of Jesus. But what does this analogy, under his wings, what does this analogy represent in the Bible? In the Psalms alone, under the shelter of God's wings, it's mentioned at least five different times. Once in the book of Isaiah. And Jesus also mentions this uh, twice. It's recorded in Matthew 23 and Luke 13. That Jesus himself wanted to take Jerusalem just as a mother hen gathers her brood under her wings. So that's what... Boaz is trying to create an analogy of. He says, look, you've come here to, for God to just scoop you up as one of his brood and protect you. Just like an old mother hen, whenever uh, she thinks that her brood is threatened, she'll open up her wings. The chicks will run up underneath her, whether it's raining, whether it's bad weather, whether there's a, a harmful animal, animal in the area. She is the only protection that can be provided for those chicks. So that's the picture that Boaz is painting. He's saying that God has his wings open wide and he's welcoming you in to protect you as you find refuge here. God knows how to protect us. He knows exactly what it takes to keep us out of harm's way. Whether it's the wind shifting in a slightly different direction to bring safety to us. Whether it's a delay at a red light or a traffic jam that's keeping you from an accident that you didn't know anything about. Whether it's something that just stalls you or makes you delay a little bit longer. You know, you might think you're running behind. You might think your wife is waiting too long to get ready. (laughs) But it may be just the hand of the Lord protecting you from a situation that you don't know about. 
He may be steering you in a direction to where you're not going to go through that terrible storm that you would have gone through if you would have had things your way. He knows how to keep us safe during the time of storms. And he's opening up his wings. And he's saying, look, you, you just find your refuge right here in me under my wings and I'm going to protect you. Just like a mother hen protects her little brood. So there's an old song that goes something like this. It says, Till the storm passes over, Till the thunder sounds no more, Till the clouds roll forever from the sky. Hold me fast, let me stand in the hollow of your hand. Keep me safe till the storm passes by. That's what God wants to do. He says, you have refuge right here with me. I want to protect you from the harmful things that will come your way. And I want you to rest in my strength and my security. In John chapter 10, Jesus said it like this. He says, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. And neither shall any man pluck them out of my hands. Folks, that's, that's what eternal security is all about. We are protected from the forces of evil. Even though the bad things in our life seem to be happening to us continuously, we have that assurance that our eternal life is protected securely in the palm of God, under his wings. And that's the picture that's being created by the writer here. Boaz says, you're going to be repaid for your work. A full reward be given to you. And he's casting the blessings upon her. Just like when he, when he introduced himself to his workers last week. May the Lord be with you. May the Lord bless you. And he's saying, Ruth, we want you to know that you have shelter under the wings of God right here with us. So not only does he know how to protect, he also knows how to comfort as well. Look at verse 13. I think this is real need the way uh, Ruth responds to this. I think she's overwhelmed with emotions. And so she says, let me find favor in your sight, my Lord, which is what she's already asked. You know, why have I found favor in your sight? She said, let me find favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. And so that makes me wonder, what did those workers in the field say to Ruth while she was out there? We don't know what kind of conversations they had. We don't know when they came into the town of Bethlehem exactly how they were greeted. They might have greeted Naomi welcomely. They might have spoken some harsh words to Ruth. I I just can't say for sure how those conversations with. Well, what I'm seeing here leads me to believe that that's the first time that Ruth has been spoken to kindly since all of those events have unfolded in her life. So when we come to the Lord, there should be a certain degree of comfort that we get. When we get into his word, 
there should be a certain degree of comfort that we get, just like that. And when we hear God say, look, come, come here under my wings. Come here and let me protect you. We should find great comfort in that. So how far has Ruth traveled to find this kind of comfort? As a Moabite living in the land of pagan gods, how long has she been empty? How, how long has she felt threatened? During this dark time of the judges, how, how long has she sought after this type of comfort? As she has endured the loss of her husband, watched her precious mother-in-law suffer through the loss of her two sons and her husband, and then be forced to part ways with her other daughter-in-law. They're both seeking comfort as they come to Bethlehem and approach Boaz. How much of a relief was this to find comfort during a time of turmoil in the country that they're in? So what about you? Who have you offered any comfort to lately? You know, comfort is somewhat of a uh, reciprocal uh, action that you can take on others. Because here's what Jesus said in the Beatitudes, and this might be uh, the story that he was referring to when he said that. He said, blessed are those who comfort, for they shall be comforted. Think about that for just a minute. What has Ruth been doing all along so far? She has been ministering to her mother-in-law. She has been comforting her mother-in-law. As her mother-in-law has dealt with the loss of her two sons and her own husband, been going through a famine, had to part ways with her other daughter-in-law, Ruth has been by her side comforting her. And now look what she says of Boaz. She said, look, the words that you've spoken to me have brought comfort that I've been looking for this whole time and have yet to find. And now here in a foreign town, a land of strangers, through a man I didn't even know, I have found favor in your side, and the words that you have spoken to me have comforted me. So last but not least, uh, the actual application of the word comfort here means to console. M- maybe Ruth hasn't been through her own time of grieving yet. Maybe this is just a relief to her to say, you know, I, I don't have to work now. This man has provided safety for me out in the fields. He's speaking kind words to me. He, he's providing food for me now and water that I didn't have to draw on my own. This, this man that I've never met before. This man from a land that is not my own, a land that I shouldn't be welcome in, this man is doing something to minister to me. And it's all because if you go back to what Boaz said, he said, I saw what you did for your mother-in-law. I see the ministering that you have done for her. Now I want to do the same for you. That's what God says to us. God says, I'm watching you. I know what you've done. I know the times when you have spent time with other people in their time of loss, in their time of tragedy. You have showed compassion on other people. Now when you go through times like this, guess what? I'm going to send someone into your life to do the same for you. He knows when you need that comfort. He knows when you need that compassion. He's going to send someone into your life. Hopefully it's not like the three friends that Job had. (laughs) They tried to comfort him and they did a miserable job. 
But Job said, you know what? I know that my Redeemer lives. You can say whatever you need to say. I know that one of these days I'm going to stand with him. And that's the comfort that I have during a time like this. But that's not the comfort that Ruth finds here. Something that Boaz said. I don't, I don't know if he's saying that uh, phrase about being under his wings. I don't know if he's saying to her, if he just, just the kindness and compassion. But she was overwhelmed. She said, let me find favor in your sight, my Lord. For you have comforted me. You have consoled me and have spoken kindly to your maidservant. Though I'm not like one of your maidservants. So last but not least, not only does God know your past, not only does he know your sacrifices, not only does he know how to protect you, not only does he know how to comfort you, but he also knows how to satisfy you. Verses 14 through 16. Let's look at those. Boaz said to her at mealtime, Come here and eat of the bread, and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed parched grain to her, and she ate and was satisfied, and kept some back. And when she rose up again, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves. So she's not getting the leftovers anymore. She's getting the best of the best. She's getting the stuff that the reapers have already harvested, the prime of the crop. She's not getting leftovers. She's eating prime rib now. He says, I don't want, I don't want you just getting what the remnants are. I want you getting the top shelf stuff. Let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. Also let grain from the bundles fall purposefully for her. Leave it that she may glean and do not rebuke her. So that also leads me to believe that at some point in time they had spoken some harsh words to her. And then when Boaz spoke the kind words to her, she found comfort in those words. But now she's finding satisfaction. Not, not only physical satisfaction. but She's getting more and more comfortable with what Boaz can provide for her that she hasn't found anywhere else. She's not having to work so hard for her own. So therein is a picture by itself. A lot of times we try to work to earn God's favor. A lot of times we work to try to earn salvation. A lot of times we think if we can do enough good things, God's going to find faith. No, that's, that's not how grace works. God wants to give you his grace no matter what. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. And it's the same way that Boaz has here. He says, I'm going to give you stuff that you never dreamed you'd have in a situation like this. Here's what Jesus had to say about being satisfied. When we come to him, he says, I'm the living water. If you'll drink from me, you'll never thirst again. Your soul will be quenched. You'll find satisfaction through the living water that I can give you that you'll never find anywhere else. He also said, I'm the bread of life. He says, if anyone comes to me and eats, he said, you'll never go hungry again. 
I'll satisfy you with things that you've never experienced anywhere else. Satisfaction. Some people are looking for peace to satisfy their life. Some people are looking for something to fill an emptiness that they couldn't find anywhere else. Paul says if we'll pray pray to God that we'll experience a peace that surpasses all understanding. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's satisfaction right there, people. We look to the government to make world peace. You're never going to see world peace, not until the Prince of Peace comes. <laughs> that's the only way that's going to be satisfied. Also, Paul said that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we ask or think. That's satisfaction right there. We think there are some things in our lives that we can get that's going to bring satisfaction. Man, we get that Lamborghini car, that's going to bring satisfaction to my life. I, I get a multi-million dollar house, that's, no, those things aren't going to satisfy. You might get some temporary satisfaction out of it. But in the end, it's probably going to be more of a headache than anything else. But God says, I'll give you eternal riches that you'll never be able to find anywhere else. And you'll find a satisfaction through what I can provide that no one else can give you. She ate and she was satisfied. No telling how many years it was that she had a feast like that. No telling how long the journey was. She had to pick up the scraps along the side of the road. She had to go out in the field and work for herself. She might have been tired, not only for herself, but her mother-in-law. I don't know what kind of physical condition her mother-in-law was in. But she was going out and getting food for her as well. And all this time, she couldn't be satisfied. And Boaz says, I want to show you what God can do for you. This is how my God works. He'll give you peace. He'll give you joy. He'll give you satisfaction that you're not going to find anywhere else because he knows exactly what you need. He knows exactly when you need it. He knows all about your past, and he doesn't care about that. He knows all about the sacrifices you've made. He wants to reward you for those. He knows what it takes to protect you during your times of harm and danger. He knows how to comfort you in your times of sorrow. And he sees the times that you comfort others as well. He knows exactly what's going on in your life. He knows exactly what you need. He knows your situation and he's the only one that can do anything about it. So just like that intelligence gathering device, God doesn't need a weather balloon or a spy balloon or anything like that. He knows what's going on in your life. And he is more than capable of meeting your every need. Jonathan Edwards wrote this. It's a quote down at the bottom of your outline. Doubtless is the glorious prerogative of the omniscient God as a great searcher of hearts to be able well to separate between sheep and goats. So
So that's the main thing that the Lord is looking for. That's the main thing that he knows. He knows exactly who belongs to him and who doesn't belong to him. I can't make that distinction. I can't tell when a person is genuinely sincere about coming into a a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I can see the brokenness. I can see sometimes when they're sorry, sorry about things. It's like Brother Sam said. I was talking to someone about that this morning. You know, what you can see is you can see the change that God is making in their lives. It may happen instantly. It may take a while. But the one thing that we can see is we can see the change in their hearts and their lives. And that's the genuine and sincere sign right there. And that's what David talked about in Psalms 51. That's what he's looking for. He's looking for a contrite heart. He's looking for a genuine change. He's looking for those who are genuinely wanting to draw closer and closer to him. He knows when your heart is right. He knows when you're serious. He knows when you're wanting to move on in in your relationship with him. So how about you today? If he were to put your heart under a microscope, if he were to put your life under a magnifying glass and really examine everything that's going on, he already knows you can't hide it from him. But if you were to stand before God himself right now, he were to examine your life, what would he see? What, what would the evidence be? He already knows. The eyes of the Lord are in all places, and they're beholding the evil and the good. When you stand before the Lord, it's just like, I have nothing to hide. It's all out there in the open. I can hide it from mom, I can hide it from dad, I can hide it from the preacher. (laughs) But you can't hide it from the Lord. He knows where you've been, he knows what you've done, he knows what you need, and he knows what it's going to take to get you to draw closer to him. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. If you need to respond just while I'm praying, just come to the altar. We're going to have a a moment of of silence, just a quiet time for you to reflect about what you've heard. We won't take long. I I think you already know if God's speaking something to your heart. And and, uh, if you need me to stick around later and talk with you some more about questions that you have, I'd be more than happy to. Father God, thank you so much for loving us the way that you do. God, I I know in my own life I thought I was getting away with things, Lord God, but in the end I had to come to to my senses and realize that uh, it, it all comes down to me and you. It all comes down to me realizing that you know my heart better than I do. You know my thoughts before I think them. And you love me anyway. So Lord, I just pray that you would examine us. Lord, we we want to see revival 
continue on. So search me, Lord God. That's a prayer that we've been praying for a while now. We've studied, we looked at. Search me, O Lord, and know my thoughts. Try me and know my heart. See if there's any wicked way in me, Lord. Examine us. And reveal it to us, Lord God. Reveal it to us on a personal level. We, we've seen people, Lord, getting right. We've seen these altars flooded this week, Lord God, with people getting right with you because you have put your finger on a section of their heart, on a place in their heart, an issue that they're dealing with, Lord. And they've laid it out and open and given it to you. They've come clean. So, Lord, that's, that's all I want. I want a clean heart. I want my heart to be right with you. I, I want to be just like Jesus, Lord, and that's the ultimate goal of the Christian life. We, we may not ever attain it, not in this life, Lord, but that's what she, we should be striving for. As a disciple, as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, that is our role model and our ultimate goal is to be more like him. So I pray, Lord God, that you would give me strength. I pray over this congregation, this church, God, that you would help us to be aware of your presence in our life, that you're watching and you're listening. You know what we need and when we need it. So I pray, Lord God, that you would continue touching people's lives. We want to see people changed. We want to see souls saved. Lord, we want to see this body, this congregation, unified and stronger than ever. Sometimes that just involves being honest with ourselves and each other. But most of all, it involves being honest with you. So prepare us for what lies ahead. Strengthen us, Lord God. We thank you for your protection. We thank you for your provision. We thank you for what only you can do in our lives. And all God's people said, Amen. Preceding message was presented by First Baptist Church in Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information about a relationship with Jesus Christ or about First Baptist Church, including contact info, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.